You're listening to Crush Performance, your weekly source for sport performance and athletic development information. Get the Crush blogs, podcasts, and performance links at crushperformance.com. Now, here he is, the Crusher. At any given time in any sport, if you were to sit in on a team or organizational meeting, there's one thing you would be guaranteed to hear, a discussion on injuries. It's one of the constant issues in sport and at all levels of sport. Unfortunately, the biggest conversations on this topic tend to happen most often at the biggest levels of the game in pro sports. And right now, it's one of the biggest conversations in Major League Baseball. As the league hit the 75-game mark in mid-May, the injury numbers started to flow, and they looked something like this. At this point in the season, there have already been 31 pitchers who've undergone Tommy John surgery, 12 in May alone, involving everyone from Cy Young Award winners Jacob DeGrom and Robbie Ray to first-round prize prospects Kamar Rocker to young star Luis Garcia. Then, a report by Daniel Epstein from the Baseball Prospectus. Elbow injuries are up 27% over last year. Shoulder injuries are up 41%. Those are big, big numbers and reason for big concern. Understanding injuries and injury prevention comes full circle to a conversation we have with each and every athlete, team, and organization we work with. Problem solving. In order to solve any problem, you first have to understand the problem you're dealing with. And I mean understand it from every possible angle. I always say a problem accurately defined is already partially solved. And it's true. In baseball, when it comes to injuries that plague the game, especially the elbow and shoulder injuries, we have to look to the usual suspects. Workloads, velocity, and the new kid on the block who's getting plenty of attention right now, the pitch clock. Let's start our problem solving here with usual suspect number one, workloads. Year over year, the number of injuries has been rising to record levels in both Major League Baseball and Minor League Baseball, affiliated Minor League Baseball, but also at every single level of the game, right down to the grassroots levels. In professional baseball, they will play 162 games in 184 days with only 22 days off per season. That's basically one off day every 10 days making it what I think is probably the most grueling schedule of any sport. And as we watch the injury levels rise year after year after year, something interesting happened in 2019. We saw a 4% decrease in the overall number of injuries, and that was a massive shift from a very, very concerning trend. The question is why? Well, in that year, they added a couple of extra rest days. The season went from 182 days to 184 days. Could it be that two extra rest days were enough to cause a 4% decrease in the overall number of injuries in the game? Well, I personally had high hopes. Heading into the 2020 season, I was looking for some exciting things to happen. And not only did we have the extra rest days, But that year, they also expanded the rosters from 25 players to 26 players. The implications here for player management and injury prevention were absolutely encouraging, and I couldn't wait to see the impact. Then, COVID. 
a shortened season. So we don't have great data there. The next year, the lockout. And we're still waiting to see the overall impact of not just the increased days of rest, but the expanded rosters. However, as we head into the early part of this season, it's not looking good. Or is it? Could it be too early to tell? Do we have enough information or even the right information? Either way, here's what we do know. Preparing for the pro baseball schedule is one of the most difficult tasks in all of sport. 162 games in 184 days. It's crazy. It takes stamina, durability, strength, speed, power, agility and movement skills, hardiness, resilience, and the ability to recover and bounce back day after day after day. It's almost impossible to have humans well-rounded enough to survive this type of schedule. Here's what I can tell you. The schedule is not built for top performance. Professional sport at its core is an entertainment business driven more by financial parameters than athlete and player performance. Let's be clear on that. When it comes down to the actual competition in professional baseball, the real business is this. It's a game of who can perform the best in this environment at any given time. It has very little to do with competing at the heights of player and team readiness. That grueling schedule simply doesn't allow for complete recovery and top performance from day to day. And this is pretty much true for any professional sport with a multi-game schedule. The NBA, the WNBA, the NHL, the NFL, Major League Soccer, European Soccer. Where we do see top performance from elite athletes is in the event sports like tennis, golf or athletics, even cycling and the Olympic sports. Here we have weeks and sometimes months to prepare and peak for critical competitions. And that is where we can see athletes perform at their very, very best. But in those jam-packed and condensed multi-game schedules in professional sports and most professional sports, we're only seeing who can play the best in those conditions. And it's not simply a matter of seeing who can play the best on any given day. It's who can survive and stay healthy through that kind of a schedule. And this is why I feel Cal Ripken's consecutive game record is one of the, if not the, most impressive record in all of sport. 2,632 consecutive games. That's 16.2 consecutive seasons without missing a game. It just doesn't seem possible, and I'm not sure if that is possible anymore in today's sporting landscape, but it's one of the reasons I loved Cal Ripken as a kid. He was one of my favorite players, and listen, I remember in my first year with the Blue Jays, I was like a kid in a candy store, right? When I moved up to the big leagues, um, I'd spent uh, a number of years in the minor leagues helping develop and build that program, but when I moved up to the big leagues, I was truly, truly excited. And one of the things I was really, really looking forward to was seeing all the ballparks that I'd seen on TV. So in that first year, whenever we would arrive at a new city, I would head to the ballpark early and walk around and just check it out from top to bottom. I would walk around the top concourse, the main concourse. I would walk around the utility concourse underneath. I would look at every nook and cranny. I would go out to the bullpens. I would stand at home base. And there's a couple of ballparks that are really special to me. I think my overall favorite of any ballpark is still Fenway. Very, very special. The guys there are great for starters. I got a tour and got inside the Green Monster. I actually signed it. My name is in there, <laughs> which is pretty cool. 
but I love Fenway. I hope they never, ever change it. It is just such a special, special thing. But listen, getting to Oriole Park at Camden Yards for the first time. Oh, boy, boy. It was very, very special. First of all, it is a historic site and a beautiful, beautiful ballpark. So I get there early, change up, gear up. You know, the equipment guys are there. And I walk down the tunnel to the dugout and I walk out and there's Cal Ripken doing early work on third base. And I'm telling you, you know, when you see something special, and you're not even sure why it's so special, but you just have to stop and just take it in for a second. That was this moment. I walked out and there was number eight on third base. And we're on the third base line, our dugout. So he is right there. And I'm going, holy cow, that is Cal freaking Ripken just a couple meters away from me. I just quietly worked my way up to the top step of the dugout. And I stood there and just watched him take ground balls. I don't even know how long I was standing there, but it was probably quite a while. And, well, it was Cal freaking Ripken. <laughs> it was awesome. Such a special moment for me. I got goosebumps just thinking about it. Cal Ripken was very special, especially in the context of our number one suspect in the injury problem we're seeing. Workloads. To go that many games, that many seasons without being injured, it's incredible. The physical and mental demands of sport are problem number one on today's list. And when we consider baseball here today, let's have a look at our number two suspect, velocity. Velocity and a throwing sport. Is it a recipe for disaster? Well, based on what we know at this point in history, it is a ticking time bomb, and it's a bomb that keeps going off again and again and again. The bottom line, let's just look at it. Throwing a baseball is one of the most complex movements in all of sport. When you consider the joints, the muscles, the coordination, and the force it requires to execute the movement, it's almost maddening when you try to put it all together. However, left unchecked, unmanaged, or mismanaged, Throwing a baseball quickly becomes one of the most dangerous movements in all of sport, especially when you consider the pitchers. Now, that being said, we're also seeing a rising incident level of elbow injuries in our position players, which is even more reason for alarm. We have to consider the number of innings played and the number of innings a pitcher pitches. We have to consider the number of pitchers thrown. We have to consider the number of pitches thrown at max effort. We have to look at recovery time, recovery per pitch, per inning, per game. And these are just some of the variables that need to be considered when you're truly going to manage throwing athletes. So where are we at with velocity? Let's have a look at the four-seam fastball. Back in 2015, the average major league four-seam fastball was 93.1 miles per hour. And that was quite a feat. Breaking that 93-mile-an-hour mark as a league average was something that was quite incredible at the time. If we fast forward to 2021, it crept up to 93.7 miles per hour. Then in 2022, 93.9. And when we look at the 75-game mark of this season, the 2023 season, the average Major League four-seam fastball hit 94 miles an hour on average. Pitchers are throwing harder. There's no question about it. 
And a lot of that has to do with the league's flamethrowers. You see, the average pitch velocity in Major League Baseball hasn't really changed. It hovers right around that 85 mile an hour mark, 85 to 87 miles an hour, depending on which data you look at. That includes the changeups, the off-speed pitches, the knuckleballers. That's all the pitches thrown in Major League Baseball. But when we look at the fastball, it's quickly rising and mostly due to the 100 mile an hour plus pitches. We have more pitchers throwing 100 miles an hour, and we have more pitchers throwing over 100 miles an hour more often. In fact, when we look at the data from 2016, during that season, there were 1,948 pitches thrown at 100 miles per hour or higher. In 2022, that number ballooned to 3,356 pitches over 100 miles per hour. Here's the thing. And it seems nobody's figured this out yet, or maybe they just don't care. But a major study done in 2016 shone some light on the stress of pitching in relationship to the human breaking point. Analyzing all of the reported injuries in the game over a number of years, here's what the researchers found. 92 miles an hour was the breaking point for elbow injuries in baseball. They found that for every mile an hour over 92 miles an hour, there was a 15% higher risk of ulnar collateral injuries in the game. And when pitchers went five miles over 92, upwards of 97 or greater, there was a 98% increase risk of injury. Those are staggering numbers. Wouldn't it make sense here to really, really caution any throwing over 92 miles an hour, especially at the younger levels of sport? They also reported that throwing a higher ratio of max effort fastballs also increased risk factors. Here's kind of a breakdown. If you took all the pitches you threw in a game and you're throwing about 48% of those pitches as fastballs, there is very little risk. But increasing the number of fastballs by 1% equals a 2% higher risk of elbow injury. So if you're throwing 55% to 60% fastballs, well, you're that ticking time bomb. What's even worse, the drive and the push for velocity earlier in development is simply destroying talent, destroying players. The damage is being done earlier and earlier at the developmental levels of the game. Smart teams would be looking for kids that throw slower, who are healthier, and who they can develop into hard-throwing, healthy pitchers. But it seems no one gets that yet. It's crazy to me. The damage being done at the younger levels not only takes kids out of the game, and I'm talking 10, 12, 13-year-olds, as well as our 18, 19, and college-level players. Not only is it taking them out of the game, it's damaging their tissues. And what we're getting at the higher levels of the game are the survivors of a very dangerous developmental system. And while the tissues may look okay on an MRI when they're tested before their draft or signed to become pro athletes, the actual quality of that tissue is compromised. Make no mistake, these arms are ticking time bombs. We need to do a much better job protecting our young players. And that brings us to another problem that we're seeing. The weighted ball programs we're seeing infiltrate every level of the game. You want to talk about ticking time bombs? This is one of them. Imagine adding the stress of a weighted ball to an already dangerous and largely mismanaged movement like throwing a baseball. It is a dangerous game to play in my opinion. 
And if you don't know exactly what you're doing, it can be very risky business. It's one of the big problems the game is facing right now. You have the believers, those who will fall on their swords, promoting the benefits of weighted balls. Then you have the non-believers who need to see the data that justifies the benefits of added stress to the throwing arm. There's compelling research citing the dangers of using weighted balls and the mechanisms for increased injury and why throwing weighted balls may be less effective and potentially more dangerous than just throwing a regular ball. But velocity is sexy. We live in a peak by Friday type of society where we want everything right now as soon as possible. And there's very little regard given to the long-term consequences of throwing hard early and throwing hard a lot. Tick, tick, tick. This is one of those time bombs we've been discussing, and I've been worried about it for years. All I can say is we protect and manage our players with the long game in mind, and I can't remember the last arm injury we had. To be clear, we do use weighted balls, but under the strict supervision of our sports science team, and here are our parameters. In a rehab situation, it's always sub-maximal and very, very controlled. We'll use weighted balls for teaching force application and applying pressure through a range of motion, always at sub-maximal efforts. We'll use it for innervation and readiness programs prior to throwing and part of our recovery programs as well, always sub-maximal. And this is maybe most important. We only use weighted balls when the work-rest ratios allow it only when the player is physically ready for it and only under the supervision of a staff member or until we're convinced the player can teach this stuff himself or herself. It's a tool that can be useful, but the way these programs have been marketed and the way they're being implemented and infiltrating player programming is dangerous with a capital D. For me, one of the biggest issues with weighted ball programs is the danger of just piling it into an already busy schedule. Remember, rest and recovery is our number one priority, and I think this is really where the whole system collapses. Here's a great story for you from my Blue Jay days. Working inside of an organization is truly an incredible place to be as a professional in sports science. Now, especially when you have 25 players you're responsible for. And even more incredible is when those players trust you with the development and the performance of their careers. I loved the situation and I spent a lot of time and took a lot of pride building each program for every individual player. And there was a range that you wouldn't believe. But working with the pitchers, I spent so much time working with the trainers, working with the pitching coaches to make sure that we're balancing everything in a 24-hour cycle as we move through the season. And the late, great Roy Halladay was a true, true treasure in baseball, and he was so much fun to work with. He was one of the most consistent athletes I've ever worked with. He never missed a beat. And his expectations, trust me, were greater than anybody else's. I loved working with Roy. One day, I was sitting in the training room talking with the head athletic trainer, George Poulos. We were discussing player health, player performance, and the programs coming up for this next road trip in the next month. And the pitching coach, Mark Connor, walks in and says, Hey, guys, is there anything wrong with Doc? And we're like, nope, he hasn't been in. I said, nope, he hasn't missed a beat. I said, well, listen, his velocity's down and his breaking balls, they're not moving like they normally did. Are you guys sure he's okay? I said, well, hey, I'll check. I went straight to Doc and asked him if he was feeling okay. 
He kind of hummed and hawed a bit. I said, hey, man, what's going on? He goes, well, my arm has been a little bit sore. I said, really, Doc, you should have talked to us. Does George know that your arm hurts? He goes, no, it's my elbow. It's a little tender. I thought it was just dead arm, he said, and I was working through it. I said, well, what have you been doing? He said, well, I've been doing a little extra tubing and a little exercise here and there and a little extra on the side. He'd been sneaking away doing extra work on top of the program we'd already established for him. Well, we marched into the training room, talked with George, talked with Mark Connor, the pitching coach. Here's what we did. We totally eliminated any extra work he was doing. And then we took the program that we'd built for him and we cut it in half. Originally, it was going to be for 10 days and we were going to see how he adapted. Now, he never missed a start, but after 10 days and one start, his arm was feeling not just great, electric. We cut his original workload in half and he bounced back to places we never thought he might go. Doc had averaged 93, 94. He could hump it up to 95, 96 miles an hour, but he typically operated at 93, 94 miles an hour for his fastball. Well, that fastball creeped up, creeped up, and creeped up. And by midseason, he was throwing 96, 97. And there again, for the first time in his career, he started having arm issues. Guess what we did? We pulled it back down to that 93, 94 miles an hour where he'd operated his entire career. And he chugged along to have that unbelievable career that he had. It's just a great example of real life athlete management in the heat of battle and how quickly an athlete can bounce back when you manage them properly. Now, make no mistake, Roy Halladay's conditioning was exceptional for any athlete in any sport. And that's what I wish would happen in the game of baseball, especially at the youth levels. There is very, very little preparation for the game. It's something we certainly have to correct. And ultimately, it's not that complicated. If you have an increase in work volume, you need more recovery time. You have to work that into your schedule. If you have an increase in intensity, you need significantly more recovery time. And there's much, much more we could discuss here. But for now, if you're using weighted balls, proceed with great, great caution. Now, let's have a look at our number three injury suspect, the new kid on the block, the Major League Baseball pitch clock. At the start of this season, for the very first time, Major League Baseball has instituted a pitch clock where a pitcher now has 15 seconds to begin the motion to throw a ball with the bases empty and 20 seconds with runners on base. It's all in an effort to accelerate the game, increase game action, and ultimately cut the length of the average game time. In 2010, the average Major League game was 2 hours and 54 minutes. Fast forward to 2014, three hours and seven minutes. Then in 2019, the game increased in length slightly to three hours and 10 minutes. It is a long haul. In 2022, it hovered three hours and six minutes. So far in 2023, with the pitch clock rule in place, the average game is two hours and 38 minutes. 
So it appears to have worked. The games are shorter, significantly shorter. There's a little more action per unit time. And you'd think logically that spending less time on the field would mean more recovery and better health for the players. But could there be an unintended consequence to the pitch clock? Less time between pitches, could it be leading to an increase in injuries? If you think about it, pitch by pitch fatigue has to accumulate. And then inning by inning, there's more work being done per unit time. Could we be sitting on a ticking time bomb? If you recall Epstein's report in the baseball prospectus, elbow injuries are up 27%, shoulder injuries up 41% over this time last year, it would appear the bomb has gone off. Well, here's MLB's response. I'll be sharing these links on social media if you're interested, so keep your eyes open for that. But the data shows no clear correlation between pitch timer and injuries, quote, unquote. The title to the article sounds very convincing, and they back it up with some hard numbers. Let's go through it, and you make the call. They start off by looking at the injured list placements of the first 75 days of the regular season from 2019 right up to this year. In 2019 at this time, there had been 270 players placed on the IR at this time. In 2021, that number grew to 388. In 2022, 282. So far this year, 2023 with the pitch clock, 273 players on the IR. Not a lot of difference. According to Glenn Fleissig, the research director for the American Sport Medicine Institute, he says it's difficult to prove the pitch timer is to blame for the injuries because we don't live in a world in which you only have one thing that's changed from one year to the next. Yes, you have the brand new pitch clock, which some of these players have never been subject to before, but you also have an increase in throwing velocity. The four-seam fastball has gone from 93.8 to 94 miles an hour this season, which we already talked about. The average breaking ball velocity has also increased slightly from 82.6 miles an hour last year to 83 miles an hour. Those might seem like small gains, but those small gains equal tremendous, tremendous stress on the arm when you consider the throwing motion. Dr. Fleissig feels velocity is a much clearer injury culprit than the pitch timer. Dr. Fleissig has been on the show before, and I hold his opinion in high regard. So this is a very interesting perspective. And another point that was brought up in the article is the fact that more than 66% of the players who've been placed on the injured list this season missed seven or more days in the last two seasons where there was no pitch timer at the major league level. So last year's injuries contribute to this year's injuries, which contribute to next year's injuries, they say. And let's not forget something that I've been saying time and time again. The injury rates in Major League Baseball have been rising for decades. Here's some interesting numbers. If you look at the period of 2005 to 2009 and the injury rates in position players and pitchers, the average time of game during that period was 2 hours and 53 minutes. The number of injuries to position players, 9,317, 15,882 to pitchers. Fast forward to 2021 to 2022, where the average game was three hours and seven minutes. The number of injuries to position players, 14,085, to pitchers, 30,210, almost double. So in 2021-2022, the average game was three hours and seven minutes, 14 minutes longer 
in 2005 and 2009. The players had all the time in the world they needed to regroup, recover, and get ready for the next play, the next inning. Yet, injuries went up dramatically over that time. So is the pitch clock, the decrease in time, actually causing the injuries? The injuries were already rising at alarming rates. And here's an interesting fact. 2020 was the first year that Major League Baseball saw over a billion dollars in losses due to missed games caused by injury. The financial losses keep going up right along with the injury rates. So now it kind of appears like there's no clear correlation between the increased pace of play and the injury rates. One final point made in the Major League Baseball article was a look at data produced by Dan Zimborski of Fangraphs, who looked at the pitchers who were most likely to be affected by the new rule changes. He found that of the 447 pitchers who would pitch at least five innings in both 2022 and 2023, 123, or 27.5% have appeared on the injured list. Of the 50 with the largest changes of pace, nine have been on the IL, while eight of the pitchers with the smallest changes in pace have been injured. And of the 50 pitchers who sped up the most because of the pitch clock, only one reliever, Chris Martin, has landed on the IL so far this season. So there you have both sides of the story. And I don't feel like we've gotten any answers here. But then again, if we had the answers, the injury rates probably would be nowhere near where they are. But baseball is not alone. The NBA is having very similar issues, as is hockey, football, and soccer. Right along with golf, tennis, volleyball, and all the others, injury trends are a massive issue plaguing all levels of sport in virtually every sport. These trends have been building up for years, and they continue to rise. One of the best ways to make yourself more valuable in the world of sport is to simply stay healthy. So, athletes... As you move forward with your development and your careers, protect yourself. No one can do it better than you. Coaches, please protect and manage your athletes and your players with a fierce resolve. And finally, parents, protect your athletes and players like a mama bear would protect her cubs. If you can do this, you have a real shot at seeing how good you can actually become. And frankly, it's just not that complicated when you think like an athlete. I'm Jeff Kershaw. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. I'm not sure we've actually solved any of the sport injury problems here, but if you're thinking about managing yourself and protecting yourself a little bit more than before, well, mission accomplished. I'll be posting a few great articles looking at the injury trends in sport over the last few years. They're really well done and worth the read, I promise. I'll be posting them on our social media platforms, so keep an eye out for that. A couple from ESPN. Why the NBA's load management problem might be unfixable. That's by Baxter Holmes. Also, these kids are ticking time bombs. The threat of youth basketball. And another one by Baxter Holmes. Under the knife. Exposing America's youth basketball crisis. There are other stories in other sports and I'll be posting them all. So keep an eye out for those on our social media. If you have any questions, comments, smart remarks, or if you have a topic you'd like us to cover, please let us know. Write to us, info at jeffcrushell.com. The Crush Performance Podcast is recorded in the Crush Studios. Our distribution partner, Radio Influence Digital Media. You can check them out at radioinfluence.com and get all the show archives there as well. 
website and educational material produced and directed by Debbie Crushell, Miss Crusher. Our theme music, graphics, and video design by Noah Alexen at Nolexen Visual and Sound. This is season 18 of Crush Performance. To get the Crush archives and to subscribe to the show, go to jeffkershell.com and follow me on social media. Search out Crush Performance. And stay tuned for the Crush Performance video series coming soon on the Crush Performance YouTube channel. Have a great week, everyone. Manage yourselves well, stay safe, and we'll talk to you next time right here on Crush Performance.